For all of Gabriel's show dates and ticket links go to gabrielrutledge.com. Or don't. If you would like to support this podcast by subscribing for $5 a month, click the Substack link in the episode notes. You won't get any extra episodes, but Gabriel will think warm thoughts about you. And now it's time for the drive home with Gabriel Rutledge. Play the royalty-free hip-hop music. Now here's your host, Gabriel. Driving home from SeaTac Airport. After another long Las Vegas week. I can already tell, oh yeah, I'm going to have to get gas before I get home because uh, past me thought future me would be fine with that. Well, guess what, past me? You were wrong. There was a, uh, I'm tired, like, you know, I'm always tired the day I'm coming home. A couple hours sleep. I crashed out pretty quick on my uh, Southwest Airlines flight. And then, uh, I don't know, 10 minutes in or so, 20 minutes in, someone's, I don't know if it was a laptop or an iPad, they were playing a movie or TV show very loudly with no headphones. That's what you could hear from like two aisles away or whatever. Or not two aisles, but you know what I mean. Rose. I don't know what the movie or show was, but it had bagpipe music in it. That's how well I could hear it. Like, what the fuck is going on? Did the plane crash? Is this my funeral? <laughs> and I actually thought, because it was kind of across the aisle from me, even though I was on the window, and I thought, well, maybe I could, like, make eye contact and be like, hey, could you put your headphones in? That kind of thing. But then I looked over and everyone's wearing headphones. So I'm like, well, maybe I can't tell where it is. I'll just try to sleep through it. The lady next to me, sort of an elderly Asian lady, and I only mention she's Asian because she was. Uh, we were kind of giving each other looks like, ah, oh, what is this? This is bullshit, right? This is annoying. So we're kind of, but I, I keep looking over there, I see nothing. And then I see over there, I see a lady say to the lady next to her, she's like pointing to her iPad and her head. The lady was wearing wireless earbuds or whatever you call them, but they weren't connected. So she thought the sound she was hearing was coming from her headphones, but it was not. So she kept turning it up because she's probably like, these headphones suck or something. You know. 
So, you know, you gotta laugh because it's a good lesson. You know, I was so upset. And then you realize, you know what? Sometimes people aren't rude. They're just stupid. The more you know. I don't like uh, wireless earbuds. People lose them all the time. And you're like, how do you know if you don't have them? Because I see them on the ground. And then half the flights I take, someone's looking for one after one on the floor, you know? I know you can't charge your phone while you use wired earbuds, but I prefer it. Yes, you have to untangle them sometimes, but I, I, I don't know. Plus, I did a Zoom show one time, like a live stream thing, and I was using the the wireless one, Bluetooth ones, and it, it it was a disaster. It was like a a delay. The mics got messed. It was a I've never recovered from that, and so uh, I'm very anti Bluetooth earbuds. This podcast is sponsored. By wired headphones. And also Coke Zero. Coke Zero. If you drink regular Coke, then it won't taste good. But if you don't, it's not bad. Coke Zero. I don't eat a, I don't eat a lot of sugar. You know, because I'm a low-carb douchebag. And not to brag, but my low-carb lifestyle has maintained my lower end of fat body for a couple of years now. (laughs) How's that for a success story? I've maintained kind of fat for several... I've maintained kind of fat for several years. But if you don't eat a lot of sugar, I mean, drinking a Coke Zero is like having a milkshake. It's so delicious. Also, when I do eat sugar on the occasional cheat day, which usually happens when I just eat something and then I'm like, I shouldn't have done that. I guess it's a cheat day. I eat desserts like I used to watch TV at my grandparents' house. Because we did not have TV growing up. So we would go to my grandparents' house and just binge everything. I mean, you couldn't binge back then. But we would just turn the TV on and watch every single program available. To make up for lost time. And that's how I eat ice cream now. I've been so good, I deserve a treat. Also, I was sleeping on that flight. Drifted off to sleep again. Holding hands with an elderly Asian lady. Uh, 
And then they're like, attention everyone, lights come on. Sorry to interrupt, but it's someone's birthday on the plane. The fuck? They made some six-year-old kid walk up there and give him some Southwest Airlines swag. And then everyone was supposed to sing happy birthday, but me and my Asian girlfriend did not take part. birthday, Corey. Hope it was a good one. It was the most half-hearted. No one wanted to sing to this poor girl. Everyone's tired on a plane. Happy birthday. Okay. What are you... supposed to fake enthusiasm for this kid. Oh my god, it's your sixth birthday? It's like the same enthusiasm you have when they're like, at the store, when they're like, would you like to round up to donate to feline AIDS research? Uh, Yeah, alright, fine. Happy birthday. Some guy in the back started playing happy birthday on the bagpipes. How do you know if you're good at that instrument? It takes a minute before you want to kill yourself? It was probably someone else's birthday on the plane. I mean, not to brag, but I'd been sober for 48 hours. It was my two-day sobriety anniversary. I didn't make a big deal about it. I didn't get to go get some wings. I didn't get a, a, a take a picture with the captain. Actually, I think it was only 24 hours. But, you know, when you've been sober as long as I have, you lose track. I was also ex- extra tired because, uh, you know, I was staying at the Rio and it's being remodeled. And uh, all week on and off, this stupid alarm. Same thing happened when I was at the Tropicana earlier this year. This, you know, this is an alert. This is an alert. You know. So, I had my alarm set for, uh, I think, 6 a.m. And about 5.30. All your get that 30 minutes back. I actually I actually had a Zoom show this week. It's funny how your my perspective on it changed cuz like, you know, during covid times uh Remember COVID? Oh boy, that got a little crazy. Uh It was so sad to do Zoom shows. It was like this horrible virtual version of like a thing I used to love. You know, it was like in some ways it's like I was performing and I was making a little bit of money, so that was great. But it was sad to do Zoom shows. Like this is what we're down to. 
And then this week, in 2023, some health conference was like, will you do 30 minutes of comedy? And I'm like, I have to talk into my laptop for 30 minutes? And he'll give me $450? Great! Let me get my wired headphones and let's do it. I mean, obviously, it's not what I want to do all the time anymore. But, you know, three years ago, I was like, oh my God. This Zoom comedy might be worse than not doing comedy. And now I'm like, I wouldn't mind booking a few more of those. That was easy money. Sure, a few times everyone was off speaker, off mic. And so I did two or three minutes to absolute silence. Also, the way the screen was set up, I could not see the participants, little pictures even, because it was like on a speaker mode and I was the speaker. So I literally was like, had no idea if anyone was actually in the room for two or three minutes. But I assumed they were, and then they would kind of come back in. Anyway, who cares? When you're going to go perform at the Comedy Cellar in Las Vegas later in the evening to a full to very full room, you don't mind kind of virtually bombing in your hotel room for $450. I actually, I was going to bring my, uh, back when I was doing Zoom shows all the time, I would hook my, I would hook a uh, microphone into my laptop. And that kind of like, it sounded a little better and then also it just, this, you know, I felt better to hold a microphone. But I forgot it. And so I just did the um, headphones. And I actually think, <laughs> I don't know if it was better or worse, but it made me, when I hold a microphone, just years of, you know, muscle memory, I start scanning the room. Like I look to the left, I look to the right, which is like a proper tool, I assume, for like engaging in the entire room. But when... There's no room. It's just the screen. They're only looking at me through speaker mode. So if I'm scanning to the left or right, there is no one there. But I did not have an inclination to do that uh, with the headphones in. I mean, if I if I look to the what would be the left side of the room, which is probably a pile of laundry in my hotel room, the people watching on their computer would just be like, what is he looking at? Probably a pile of laundry. I could really go for a Coke Zero. But instead I'll have some of this water. I actually like my water like I like my women. It's not my first choice, but if there's not Coke Zero, it'll do.
So, yeah, fun week at the Comedy Cellar. Uh, like they almost always are. Oh, remember the time this week where I talked to a very drunk bride and groom in the audience? <laughs> oh, God, we laughed. I've been with my wife since we were both 19 years old. Oh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> Did a puppy just appear? What was that sound? Aww. Good for you. How, how, old are, how old are you, bride and groom? No, the other bride and groom. What the fuck is going on? Oh, 48 and 47? You sound like a drunk bingo caller right now. I'm glad you fucked earlier because it ain't happening later. Remember when I asked the crowd if they had a safe word and then they said something and then I said something funny and we all had a good time? I feel very vulnerable right now. <laughs> Someone tell me your safe word first. I heard a phone go ding ding. Is that? <laughs> you gotta reach for your phone when shit gets too intense. <laughs> Takes a while. Takes a while to find a good safe word. My wife and I. What's that? Fuck me. <laughs> I ask, silence. I talk, people talk. It's a confusing night. What do you got, sister? It's her birthday is kind of a weird safe word. Is that how you talk about your vagina in the third person? It's her birthday. She'll cry if she wants to. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> oh, that is rich. I ran out of shirts. I only had 50 shirts. And, uh... So I was kind of done by Friday. Which cost me some money, you know? But... It's kind of nice. It was kind of nice to, uh, not have to sell them. And also, uh... Not have to do the joke that goes with the shirt. that says Party Like a Coin Star, available at gabrielrutledge.com. I had a very, I had one shirt left. And so, you know, I didn't want to like, the, whatever the next show would have been, I didn't want to like do the whole shirt pitch. It's not a whole shirt pitch. I just go, I have a shirt, you can buy it. Uh, but I'm, I wasn't going to do that for one shirt. And so, uh, one of the waitresses uh, after the show was like, how much for a shirt? And I go, you know what? I got one left. I'm not going to sell it. You can have it. And then she goes, no, you don't have to give it to me. 
I'll give you money. And I'm like, it's okay. She was like, no, no, I'll pay you money. I'm like, all right. Give me $10. And then she goes, how about five? I offered it for free. You refused it. I gave it to her for free. Oh, Keisha, you're incorrigible. I don't know what incorrigible means, but... I had a little uh, stand-up comedy lunch this week with like five or six other comedians working at various places around town or uh, one of them uh, was working with me at the Comedy Cellar uh, which was fun and I, you know a couple of them I had met before a few of them I had all bros there were some women who wanted to come but we were like no way no, that's just how it worked out And, uh, it was kind of like, um, it was fun, but then I kind of left a little depressed because, you know, whatever your occupation is, you got to bitch about it, right? That's just sort of, you know, my wife works in a school, they all bitch to each other about their job. It's part of getting through life. You kind of have to. My dad was a maintenance man in a hospital when I would go hang out with him at work. All the maintenance men types would bitch about nurses or whatever. Uh, You know, I hear truckers. I'll go to a truck stop and hear truckers bitching about trucker shit, construction, or how much gas is, or whatever. And so I know... Alright, I'm moving over. My ride's here. Uh, I know that that's a part of stand-up comedy, and I don't mind bitching. I like to bitch. But, you know, it's one of those things, like a lot of, I don't know, if any comedians get together, we kind of start talking about how, you know, you don't even have to be funny anymore, and it's all about social media, and blah, 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 and those things are all true. But, I was talking to people who like some of them make more money than me some of them older than me one of them was 61 which you know isn't as old as it used to be it's a 11 12 years away from me it's not it's as close as 40 do you know what I mean So, like, I understand bitching, and I can do it with the best. I'll shit talk. I'll, I'll, you know. But can't we ever just admit our job is the shit? Can't we ever just sit down as comedians and look at each other, at least at the level of the people who were working in Las Vegas for that lunch, can't we just look at each other and go, can you believe 
we fucking pulled this off. We own homes. We pay bills. We headline all over the world. We've been on multiple television shows. Mostly the other people at the table, but I'll take a couple. I don't want to be 61 years old still going. And very successful, by the way. Very successful 61-year-old. In stand-up comedy. And I, I don't want to be like, God damn, man. I don't know what fucking internet these kids today. And I don't feel like I'm that way at 49. But it's really, I was really like, man. What a bunch of fucking bitches we are. perseverance to create this loophole in adulthood you know I closed out shows at the comedy cellar in Las Vegas all week a place that I am a regular at I'm there every month and so to be like fuck man I don't know all these stupid crowd work comedians online, or blah, 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 these clubs, yeah, fucking, blah, 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 blah. tell that to a roofer. Tell that to almost anyone. Tell that to a comedian who wishes they were in our spot. Part of it is like you gotta stay motivated you gotta keep that drive and I understand that and maybe this is I think I said last episode like I think I have a ceiling on how successful I would ever be because I don't you see the people who are incredibly successful I don't mean just very successful but like you know take entertainment out of it like, if you watch the Michael Jordan documentary, he's an absolute lunatic. He seems very unpleasant. Incredibly competitive. A giant asshole. But I guess that's the things he needed to do to be one of the best, if not the best, basketball player of all time. watching the Conan O'Brien documentary uh, Can't Stop, Won't Stop I think it was called I'm actually making a documentary right now called uh, Gabriel Rutledge, Can Stop, Will Stop Has Already Stopped uh, We haven't started filming but I already bought the soundtrack And Conan O'Brien seems to be like, oh, he's this silly, loosey-goosey dude. 
But that documentary showed he's a lunatic also. He's an absolute lunatic. Like, more driven for success than you would ever think and also more driven for attention than you would think. Kevin Hart had like a a, a documentary series on uh, Netflix. I don't remember what it was called. But it'd be like five in the morning and he's up working out and like, this is what you gotta do if you wanna be... If you wanna be what? Aren't you supposed to be funny? You could make the argument in shape isn't funny. And the whole documentary he's talking about with his business and comedy and movies, he wants to be a billionaire, billionaire mentality. Could there be a more vapid, stupid thing to have as a goal? And I get it's not about the billion. It's about having a goal. But still... So take it down a whole bunch of levels to this lunch. <laughs> Actually, it was at 3 p.m. what we called breakfast. That's how you know it was comedians. And one of the people asked the question, um, if comedy was as good as it is now for the rest of your life, it's never going to get better. Are you okay with that? And I go, a thousand percent. I was okay with that arrangement when I made half as much money as I do now. There's no choice. It's so funny to want my daughter, who is in plays... And, like, some of her friends in high school or whatever, they're like, oh, we're not going to audition for this play because it looks terrible. Or, you know, we'll wait for the next one. And my daughter, Maisie, was like... Like, they like being in drama club. They like performing in plays. She's like, I have to do it. And I was like, yeah, I get that on a level you can't even comprehend. You know, because that's how I feel about stand-up comedy. So I am very open to becoming more successful than I am right now. But just the dissatisfaction of everyone at that table... Not everyone, but just the sort of vibe of comedians. Like, oh, could be, could be better. Things aren't going well. Blah blah blah. And you're like, ah, come on, come on. I only hit five of six lottery numbers. Why couldn't it be six? So, you know, good re- good hang, but also a good reminder that uh, I'm not saying I want to be complacent, but don't let 
goals make you depressed. Don't let, like... I accomplished this, now I need a new one. You know what I mean? It's like... You gotta... Can't you save a little, uh... Brain space for enjoying the journey? Even though the journey is also a struggle, of course. And also, I can't do everything for financial reasons. Oh, like, oh, this is... If you want to be the biggest in comedy right now, here's what you got to do. Some of that I do. I put up videos all the time or whatever. But it's also like, I also podcast from a Kia Rio with no video and no guests. What's the ceiling on that? It's pretty fucking low. Oh, you know what really blew Gabriel Rutledge up? Uh, The podcast where he talks into his wired headphones while he drives home from gigs about God knows what. That's really what launched him. That's not going to happen. I write books. There is no showbiz reason for me to be writing books. I just, some of the stuff you just got to do because you have a desire to do it. So, yeah. We all got, if we want to, like, get a certain level of popularity, we got to worry about algorithm and things like that. But everyone at that table had been through 30 fucking comedy changes in their life. From, you know, because we'd all, a lot of the people there have been doing a long ass time. A couple of them longer than me. And I'm 23 years, right? So, you know, we're talking pre-internet stand-up comedy. Pre-YouTube stand-up comedy. Through the fucking, oh, we all got to get on MySpace. We all got to do this. We all got to do that. There's been a thousand of those. And we're all still standing. We all went through all those changes. And we're still in the business we wanted to be in. At a certain level, you got to be like, no matter what comes next, I may not be the most successful comedian in the world, but I will be around. And the reason I will be around no matter what comes next is I am so goddamn funny. I'm really good at stand-up comedy. So whatever the next wave of whatever the fuck is or whatever new thing we're supposed to be doing, there will be some room for me. And everyone else sitting at that table. So for every comedy conversation that's like, well, it's not about being funny anymore. Okay, but it can be for you, the individual. If being funny is still important to you, then who cares about the other part? Kind of.
I have uh, obviously in my comedy life struggled mightily at times, financially and otherwise. But I really did. You know, I didn't enjoy doing bad shows and I still don't. But like, I don't know. I just had someone call me. I used to work in Grants Pass, Washington once a year. And she was like, hey, we're doing shows again. We'd love to have you come down. And I just go, I can't. You know, unfortunately, uh, I can't do that anymore. Because, you know, the money's just not... I would be losing money to take that amount of money at this point. And she's like, oh, I understand. Good for you. But, but the funny thing is about it was like I was sad about it. Like, oh, I like going to Grants Pass. I'm going to miss going there. I'm going to miss that gig that didn't pay enough for me to do anymore. I had fun doing those shows. I can think about the eight different different openers I brought with me. Most of whom are still in comedy. You know, the restaurant I liked going to there. So, I don't know, it's, it's, uh, I'm not, like, being all Pollyanna about it. Like, I have, I've never wavered in hope, and I have enjoyed every second of the journey. Of course not. There were times I'm like, what am I doing? This is going terribly. This is a failed experiment. So anyway, I guess I'm a, now that I'm almost 50 and I'm a, I'm a enjoy the journey douchebag now. We get so, stand-up comics get so much positive feedback and it's never enough. It's never enough. Like, if a show goes well, people are laughing and pounding tables and applauding, and then we get off stage and we're like, ah, it's not enough. But sometimes, you know, just because you pat yourself on the back doesn't mean you're never going to accomplish anything the rest of your life. You're allowed to go like, hey, we're doing it. There was a elderly black gentleman in the airport this morning who came up to me and said, I was at your show yesterday, and young man, I think you stole the show. mention he was black because as a white man a compliment from a black person is worth twice as much elderly black man it's like Morgan Freeman touching your balls I believe you stole the show that is not a good Morgan Freeman impression I do do an impression of Morgan uh, Freeman uh, playing the bagpipes. 
only had one lesson. Anyway, you don't get happier. I'm not going to tell you money can't buy you happiness. That's something a rich person wrote to make poor people feel good about themselves. But uh, you don't really get happier. I'm not saying this like I am Kevin Hart. I'm just saying the level, whatever my levels of success have been in stand-up comedy, uh, you don't really get happier. It doesn't start feeling better. But it's a little disheartening sometimes to see, like, people in positions you want to be in who are like, ah, I'm fucking angry. This sucks. And you're like, oh. That was my goal. I was hoping to get where you are. And you hate it? Yeah. Like, even where I am, like, you know, most of the people... I work with at the comedy cellar. I have agents and managers and stuff. And sometimes I'm like, maybe that's what I need. And then I just hear them bitch about how much they don't like their agents and managers. And I go, well, maybe I don't. All right. I got to get gas. Uh, I love you. Most of you. This might be as good as it gets in your life. I'm sorry. And the way that you wasted time thinking you were fat in your 20s, and then you look back and go, oh, I wasn't. (laughs) I guess what I'm saying is enjoy your fat. Bye!